Today, uh, we're going to tackle our second question uh, that was texted in. And um, when I asked the question initially, you're not going to feel as much tension as you felt last week. So uh, you're going to have a tendency to just kind of relax and be like, oh, this one isn't going to be as, as tough or demanding on me. Uh, but then I'm going to read a scripture for you in just a moment, and we're going to create some tension. Okay, so it's going to be an important question for all of us that at some level, I believe that we all, people who call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, have struggled with uh, the answer to this question. And I just think that it's important for us to go ahead and, and jump into it. So here's the second question uh, that was asked uh, that we're going to answer. Um, and it's, it's simply this, if you have been saved and baptized, but you just don't feel like God talks to you, you can't understand when reading the Bible and you just have too many questions. In other words, you don't have everything figured out. Are you saved? Are you saved? If, if you believe you've been saved, if you've been baptized, but you still have a lot of struggles, you still feel like everything isn't completely clear, are you really saved? Uh, I want to kind of step back and ask the question this way just to kind of focus the question. Uh, and here's how I want to ask it today. How can you know that you're saved? How can you know that you're saved? Now, before we go any further, let me talk to you uh, briefly about this word saved. I don't know what your history with church is or with the Bible. And, and when we ask the question, how can you know if you're saved, you may not know what saved even means. So let me just take a moment and share with you real quickly what the word saved means. The, the, the theme of the Bible is God's love. God's love for you and for me individually. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son from heaven into the world to be born of a virgin named Mary. And he lived for 33 years. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He came to this earth to live among us because he loved us enough that he would eventually give his life. He would die for you and for me. And the question is like, why would he do that? Why is that necessary? And Romans chapter 3, 23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul goes on in Romans 6, 23 that says the wages of that sin is death, meaning eternal damnation um, in a literal place called hell, separated from God forever and ever. Now, most of us don't want that reality, so we want to know how can we avoid that. And the answer is, uh, Jesus paid the debt that we deserve to pay, that we earned. He paid the debt for us when he died on the cross for us, so that anyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. So simply, God did for us what we deserve. He took our place so that we could move from an eternity of death into an eternity of life. And it simply happens by being saved. How do you get saved? Paul in Romans chapter 10 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So to get us on the same page, this word saved simply means that Jesus sacrificed everything for you and for me. And simply all we have to do is believe on Jesus and accept his free gift of salvation that we might be saved from our sins, that we might be saved from ourselves, and ultimately that we might be saved from eternity spent separated from God. So with that introduction, how do you know if you've been saved? How can you know? 
in a lot of churches, even in our church specifically, um, I oftentimes offer an opportunity to lead you in a prayer, and we would call it a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. It's a prayer to accept his sacrifice for our sins. But I want to kind of make sure that we are clear about something. There's no magical formula. There's no certain words that you have to say to get saved. In fact, if you're here today and you don't believe there is a God, you're agnostic, you're atheist, you believe that the idea that a God in heaven created everything and loves us is so foreign to you that you feel like what we do every week is a waste of time, it would be possible for you to say words that I ask you to say and still not be saved because it's not about the words that you say, it's about your heart in saying them. Does that make sense? So it's possible for people at some point in their journey to simply go back and maybe have doubts and say, I don't know if I really am saved. Maybe I was really young when I said a prayer or I thought I believed in something, but now that I'm older, I don't really know and I have questions. I mean, I feel like when I pray, my prayers don't go through the ceiling. Like, I don't even know if God hears me when I pray. I read the Bible and it's just so foreign. I don't get anything out of it. I don't know if I'm even in a relationship with him sometimes. And life just gets, let's be honest, extremely difficult at times and we go through things that we don't deserve to go through and in those moments we begin to ask God why would you let that happen to me I mean really am I even saved how do I know when my life ends how do I know that I'm going to step into an eternity in heaven with God and I would say that it's actually a Pretty simple answer, but I want to kind of take us through some scriptures. We're going to be in a New Testament letter. It's 1 John. It's one of three smaller letter, letters that the Apostle John wrote outside of the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation that um, clearly helps us to see the assurance that we can have in God. It's kind of the theme of this book, that we can have an assurance with God that His love for us is unfailing and that our relationship with Him is unending, uh, but he's going to kind of say some things that, that kind of make you think, and, and honestly, you're going to have to ask yourself some questions today. So let me read one scripture before we go there and create some tension for you, right? Because right now you're still like, there's not a lot of tension in the room, and I promise you that in this series there will be some tension. So let me create some tension for you, and let me read Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, this would be the day of judgment, the day they stand before God, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? In your name, did we not attend church regularly? In your name, did we not give uh, generously? In your name, did we not serve faithfully? In your name, did we not do things that we thought were necessary? And then I will plainly tell them, verse 23, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Here's the sad reality about churches all across this world that are meeting on a Sunday morning is that a lot of people in churches are not saved. Being in a church makes you no more saved than being in a garage makes you a car. Attending church doesn't make you saved. 
right? So many people, according to Matthew, are going to die, and they're going to stand before God having thought things were right between me and God. And Jesus is going to look at them. God's going to look at them and say, I don't know you. You might have done a lot of religious stuff while you were on the earth. You might have done a lot of things that Christians do. But we never knew each other. And I want you just to let the reality of that sink in for a moment. That there will be people on the day of judgment who think they are saved, but who in fact are not. And they will have every expectations to enjoy the beauties and the glory of heaven. But Jesus will say, I don't know you, away from me, you evildoer. Or some versions would say, you worker of iniquity. That it's possible to do religious things and have a heart condition that isn't righteous before God. That it's possible to go through some motions. It's possible to go through some traditions. But in fact, be far from God even though we're close to the things of God. And that reality for a lot of people causes them to ask the question, am I really saved? And today I want you to ask yourself the question, am I really saved? How can I know that I'm saved? Let's go to 1 John, and I want to share with you five birthmarks of salvation. Now, I don't know when you were born physically into this world if you have any birthmarks. I have a birthmark on my side. But I believe that as Christians, that there are five birthmarks that identify that we have been born into the kingdom of God, that we've been saved, that salvation is ours, and that we can rest assured and stand in confidence that even when times get difficult and even when we don't feel like we have things figured out, that we have, in fact, been saved. Hopefully this will be helpful to you. I know it was helpful to me this week. The first birthmark of every Christian is a birthmark of confession. A birthmark of confession. I'm not talking about the type of confession where you stand behind a window and you talk to someone and tell them your sins. I'm talking about the confession that we make when we confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Here's what 1 John chapter number 5, the first part of verse number 1 says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That in order for us to be saved, there has to be a belief in Jesus. There has to be a confession. Now, I've talked to many people who have been under the persuasion that because their family was always in church and they were brought up in church and they've attended church their whole life, that that just makes them a Christian. I've had conversations with people where I've asked them to share with me their story of faith and, and they make statements that make me nervous. I don't judge them for the statements and I'm not saying that these statements are completely wrong in and of themselves, but they just say, I just always feel like I've been a Christian. And I'll say, well, you know, when did you become a Christian? And well, I, you know, just from a young age, I just feel like I've always been a Christian. I don't, I don't really remember any particular event. I don't really remember any time in my life when it happened. I've just always been a Christian. Now, if that's your reality, I'm not telling you that you're not saved, but I know that there comes a moment in each of our lives where we have to individually 
decide for ourselves, choose for ourselves, respond to the hope of the gospel in a way that our heart actually believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead on the third day, and that he died for our sins, and he offers the only way for us to have a relationship with God. It's an individual choice that each of us has to make. We don't inherit salvation. Uh, There's no works of righteousness that we can do. There's no good things that we can do to earn salvation. We're not born into a state of salvation. But there comes a moment in each of our lives where we personally confess that Jesus is our Lord. And this is where salvation starts. And in fact, I would say this is where eternal life starts. Many people think that eternal life starts the day you die, but eternal life starts the day you confess Jesus as your Lord. And in that moment, God does something in you and through you that you can't do on your own. He saves you. He makes you new. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In the book of Acts, we read of the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the books in the New Testament. And we read about his story of conversion. He was a man who, who uh, persecuted the church, but he was on the road to a place called Damascus to persecute the church. And there God intersected his life and he had a conversion experience. For me, it was November 1st, 1987 at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Toccoa, Georgia. My brother had accepted Christ about a year earlier, and I had been asking questions to my parents and my pastor, and am I ready for this? And, and I knew some of the answers, but they didn't feel like I was completely ready to understand everything about salvation. But I'll never forget November 1st, 1987, as I was sitting on the third row of that church, something in my heart changed. And I remember this overwhelming sense that I need to surrender my life to God. I wasn't making a simple decision to be a better person, but I was receiving something from God that night. I was confessing him as my Lord. Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord, or do you just simply assume that you're saved? This would be a birthmark of salvation. This would be something that if you say, I have confessed Jesus as my Lord, that would be the beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ that gives you assurance that you are, in fact, saved. Now, if you're here and you say, you know, I don't remember a specific event. I've always been saved. I'm not telling you you're not saved. I'm just saying today, what I want you to do is wrestle with the question. Am I really saved? Have I confessed Jesus as Lord? Has there been a moment in my life where I responded to the message of Jesus, to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where I surrendered my life to him and allowed him to take the center of my life, and I committed to live for him for all my days? That's the first birth- birthmark of being saved. The second birthmark, the second evidence, the second reality that gives us assurance that we have, in fact, been saved is change. Change. That there is a change in a person when they get saved. Let me read to you 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. 
Now, we've, we've seen this phrase, born of him, a couple of times. In John chapter 3, there was a, a religious leader, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus asking him about who he was. And Jesus said that if you want to inherit, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, then you must be born again. He wasn't talking about entering your mother's womb a second time like Nicodemus asked him. He was talking about being born of the Spirit, that when we're saved, being born again is another way that we say that we've been saved. And so John is saying here that if you've been born of him, then you do what is right, that something changes in you, then you move from a reality of unrighteousness to a reality of righteousness, not because you become a better person and not because you work harder to do the right things, but because God changes your life. And when you get saved, you are not who you used to be, that you are forever changed because of what he does inside of you. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, when he says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Has your life changed since you've believed in Jesus? If you've seen a change, if you're not who you used to be, then you can rest assured that you are in fact saved, that God has done a work in you. See, a lot of people think that salvation, that Christianity is about becoming a good person instead of being a bad person. But the truth is, it's about becoming a person that's alive as opposed to a person that was dead. And that's something that only God can do in our hearts. And he changes us. Now, I was 12 days before my eighth birthday when I accepted Christ, when I confessed Jesus as my Lord. And so I can't tell you that I was an evil, evil person. I'm sure I was a brat as a kid. But I do remember a feeling in my heart that I was different. I remember telling people in my family, I just, I just feel different. I just feel different. And they explained to me, that's, that's just Jesus making you a new person. You're a new creation now. You're not who you used to be. Now, it's possible for some people to have a reality in life and maybe say a prayer, maybe attend some services, maybe do things, and there never be a change in their life, and them claim that because I said some words or because I attended some services that my life, that I've been saved. And I would simply say that one of the birthmarks of Christianity, of being saved, is that there is a change in your life. And it's not just a, a tweak from like, I'm, I'm a little better than I used to be. It's like God makes you new. So if you can look back and say, I am not who I used to be. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but it means that there has been a change in your heart condition. You're saved. It's a birthmark. It comes with the territory. If you've been saved, then you've been changed. Salvation to be saved is to be changed. So the second question I want you to ask yourself is, since I've confessed Jesus as my Lord, has my life changed? I'm, I'm not asking you, like, have you started doing better things? Is your behavior better? I'm asking you, has your life changed? Do you know that you're not the same person that you used to be? that your sin-filled heart has been removed and God's given you a heart of righteousness, that he's traded your sinful filth for uh, robes of righteousness and he has made you a new creation in him. If you can look back on your life and say, man, God has changed me, then you can know 
that you're saved. It's a birthmark. It's an evidence of salvation. Here's the third birthmark of salvation. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. It's a birthmark of compassion. A birthmark of compassion. And John says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. How do we know that we've passed from death to life? Because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, you may not have necessarily been an unloving person or a hateful person, but one of the birthmarks of the faith of being saved is that you have a compassion for people, that you love people, that there is an overwhelming sense in your heart of love. In fact, in one place, Jesus says that by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, you, cannot, you can be not saved, you can be far from God and still love people, but when you get saved, love is like the theme of your life. There's this compassion that you have for people. Specifically here, he's talking about those in the family of God, that you love those in the family of God as if they're your own family, but it's also talking about a compassion for people who aren't like you. That you look at people through a lens of love, that there is love that overflows out of your heart. Now, if you're just a hateful person that's always trying to put people down and you just can't stand people and, and the goal of your life is to make people miserable, then chances are this birthmark is in reality for you. That you love people as a result of being saved. And this isn't something that you have to like work at. It's something that you have to perfect, but this is something that God does for you. That being saved is to inherit a trait of love for people. Do you love people? Do you have a heart of compassion for people? Do you ever have a thought, I wonder what would happen if they die? I wonder where they would spend eternity. Do you ever have a thought, how can I make their life better? How can I add value to their life? Do you ever have compassion on someone that's going through a difficult situation and just want to be there for them, to support them, to, to journey through difficult situations with them? That's a birthmark of salvation. That's a compassion that comes from your heart and flows into the lives of people around you. Well, I've, I've heard stories of, of people who once were the most hateful people to be around. And God did a work in their life when they confessed Jesus as Lord, when they received salvation. And these people's lives are completely different because they're actually pleasant to be around because they love people. God is love, and those who claim to follow God love people. Loving God and loving others are the greatest commandments that Jesus has given us. In fact, when a group of Pharisees or religious leaders came to Jesus to try to trick him, to try to trap him, because there were 613 Jewish laws that they lived according to, and they said, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love God and love others. If you'll fulfill those two commandments, you'll fulfill all of the law. It should be the overflow of our hearts that we love one another. 
And the fifth birthmark of salvation is conduct. How we carry ourselves. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Ready for some more attention? No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. That continuing a lifestyle of sin contradicts salvation. Now, let me clarify, because some of you are just like, I got issues, this isn't looking good. We are all imperfect people. To be saved doesn't mean that we never sin. And if you're kind of new to to church lingo, sin is a simple word that means that we miss the mark. It's actually an archery term. It means that we're not perfect. That we don't live our lives in accordance with God's best for us. That's sin. And when we get saved, we will sin after that date. We can't escape the nature of sin that we live in. Hopefully, over time, we work to build our spirit so that we sin less and honor God more with our lives. But what is John talking about here? He's talking about a willful continuance to live a lifestyle of sin in blatant disregard to the things of God. This would be like to take drastic measures that hopefully won't line up with any of your lives. A serial killer saying he gets saved and going out and continuing to kill people. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I just love to kill people. It's probably not a birthmark that shows evidence that you've literally actually been saved. If we live lives that embrace a lifestyle of sin, a continuance to sin, a disregard for a life that would be honoring to God, that when we sin, it doesn't grieve our heart, we're not apologetic. We don't say, God, man, I blew it today. I'm so sorry for this. That we don't feel conviction when we sin. That we simply embrace a lifestyle of sin. That we do things that are ungodly and we don't think twice about it and we do it intentionally and we plan to do it again and we're not planning on stopping to do it. We'll do the church thing maybe, but this is just something that I love in life and I'm not willing to give this up. This is a lifestyle that I'm going to embrace then there's not a birthmark, there's not an evidence of salvation in your life. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I sin, and, and I would take a guess that you probably sin as well. Even if you call yourself a Christian, but the difference is, if it grieves your heart when you sin, and you're sorrowful when you sin, and you have a desire not to sin, in fact, there's a struggle in your life that sometimes you, tr you refuse to sin and you uh, avoid sin, but sometimes you just stumble and mess up and fall back into it. Then there's a birthmark in your life that you're not embracing a life of sin, that there is a conduct that is reflected as a result of salvation. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 again. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Do you continue to sin willfully in spite of what you know 
of God's expectations, then you may or may not be saved. And let me back up to number four. The fourth birthmark of salvation is conflict. Conflict. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. If we overcome something, it, it indicates that there's been a struggle, that there's been a conflict, that there's something within us that causes us to struggle in our faith to become something that we need to become. If you feel as if there's never a struggle in your heart to be who you're supposed to be, if you just embrace a life that's complete disregard and there's never a conflict in your heart, you never struggle with, man, I shouldn't be doing this and I need to, I need to honor God differently with my life, then chances are this birthmark of salvation, this evidence of salvation is not in your heart. Salvation leads to overcoming the things of the world and living a life in victory. So why is it that if we've been saved, okay, if we've confessed, if there's been change, if we have compassion, if we overcome through conflict and we conduct ourselves as Christians, why is it that we still struggle with this question from time to time? It's because sometimes I believe that we want a reality to be an indicator of our salvation that isn't an indicator of salvation, right? Like we want to make sure that, that, that we hear from God. And let's just be honest, there's times in our life that God is silent. There's times that we wish we would hear from God that we don't hear from God. And we think, well, maybe I'm not saved because I don't really feel like I'm hearing from God. Or maybe we read the Bible and we feel like, I don't get anything out of it. Maybe I'm not saved. And the truth is, reading the Bible can sometimes be difficult. And God's Holy Spirit will illuminate God's Word for us as we study it and examine it. But, but the Bible is a translation of different languages written by different authors hundreds of years ago. It's not something that was written um, in the context of the life that we live. And so there has to be some, some application of God's Word to our life. And sometimes it can be a difficult process. And if you struggle with that process, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that it's a difficult process to be a Christian sometimes. If you have questions, like if people ask you questions and you don't have all the answers, you don't feel like you know everything there is to know about Christianity, you can't explain everything about Christianity when people ask you questions. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It simply means that you don't know all the questions, you don't know all the answers, that you haven't figured everything out. And the truth is, that's the beauty of faith, that you don't have to figure everything out to embrace it. You don't have to know how electricity works to use it, right? You just have faith that it's going to work. Someone could ask you questions about electricity and you could have no answer, but it doesn't mean that you're eliminated from the right to use electricity. It just means you don't have all the answers. Should we study and try to get more answers? Absolutely. We should grow in our faith. There should be a journey by which we mature in our faith, that we go from babies in our faith to maturity in our faith. That's a process by which we grow. But you can know that you're saved 
if you've confessed Jesus as your Lord, if you know that there's been a change in your heart, if you have compassion and love for people inside the faith and outside the faith, if there is a struggle to overcome, if there is conflict in your life, if, if you sin and, and your heart is troubled because of it and you struggle to be who you think God wants you to be, and if you conduct yourself in a way that's pleasing to God, if that's the goal of your life, then you can know. You can know that you're saved. We're all going to go through difficult moments and, and times in our life. There's always going to be moments where our faith is tested, when people say things that cause us to question our faith. But you can know that you're saved if these birthmarks, if these evidences are in your life. And then to take the step, a question further that wasn't asked, can you mess it up? Can, can you lose this salvation? Can you go from death to life and be saved and then somehow find yourself back in death because you messed something up? And this is honestly probably where a lot of us struggle who ask this question is, have I done something wrong and now I'm finding myself not saved anymore? Let me just give you a scripture that we're going to end on. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Again, this is Paul giving us these words. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let me help you see salvation differently than maybe you have before. In John 11, there's a story of a man named Lazarus who was died. He was put into a grave, and Jesus wasn't there when his sisters hoped that he would be there to pray for their sick brother before he died, and he died. And Jesus finally shows up, and the sisters are all upset. If you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus tells these sisters, he's not dead. And he goes to the tomb where Lazarus was buried, a dead man. And he said, roll away the stone. And he spoke just a few words and he spoke to Lazarus. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man came to life and walked out of the tomb. Here's the question. Here's the question. What part did Lazarus play in his resurrection? play a part in it, did he? He was dead, and Jesus brought him to life. There is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. You didn't deserve salvation. You didn't work hard enough for salvation. You didn't know enough for salvation. You simply received salvation. And salvation is God doing something in you and for you and through you that you could never do for yourself just as he spoke to a dead man literally and told him to raise to life. And if you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, if you didn't do anything 
to create your salvation, if all you did was receive it, why do you live life in fear that you can somehow mess it up? I'm sorry to tell you, but the part you played in your salvation was simply accepting it. And losing salvation, the idea of losing salvation, like you may lose a remote control or you may lose your phone or you may misplace your keys and you may think, where's my salvation gone? I've misplaced it. It's left me. I can't find it. It's so far from the truth because Paul says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, that being said, can you turn your back on God? Can you willfully make a decision that you don't want to follow Jesus? Yeah, you can choose that. Were you saved to begin with? I don't know. I don't know. Only God knows. I don't know your heart. But I know that Jesus would never hold you captive if you wanted to go to hell and make you go to heaven because you said some words in a church service one day. He'll never force you into eternal life. It's something that you receive. But it's not something that you can misplace. It's not something that can be taken from you without you knowing it. You don't have to live life in fear lost my salvation. I'm not going to heaven anymore. I've got to fix things. Jesus wants you to have an assurance. He wants you to have a confidence that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And you can, you can take it to the bank. If you've been saved, then you have received eternal life. But the question remains, have you been saved has there been a time in your life where you've confessed Jesus as Lord? Has there been a, a change in your life? Do you have compassion and a heart of love for people? This is an indicator that Jesus has done something in your life. Is there conflict by which you overcome the world? Have you experienced the love of Jesus? Have you actually been saved? And I believe that for many people in churches all across the world, there may be men, women, and students who would say, I just kind of assumed that I was a Christian, but I never really have personally accepted Jesus as my Lord. I've, I've never fully surrendered my life to Him. I've gone through some motions and I've tried some religious self-help type stuff and I feel like I'm a better person, but I've never actually been saved. You say, well, how would I know if that's me? How would I know if that's me? Let me read, let me read one final verse for you. It's John chapter 6, verse 44. It says, no one can come to me. This is Jesus speaking. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up at the last day. Becoming a Christian, getting saved, isn't simply a mental decision. It's not like you're choosing to be a Republican or a Democrat. It's not like you're choosing to be a vegetarian. It's not like you're choosing, you know, what fan of what team that you want to be. It's God drawing you to himself and you responding to that. It's God transforming your life. It's not about a title. It's about a transformation. Chances are, my prayer has been that if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, 
Maybe you thought that you were saved. Maybe you just assumed you were saved. Maybe you, you never fully knew what being saved meant or looked like. And in this moment, you feel God drawing you. I know for me as a almost eight-year-old kid, it was a heart that was pounding. It was palms that got sweaty. And I just knew I've got to respond to God. He's wanting to do something in my life. Maybe you feel that in this moment. Maybe you... Just know in your heart right now that God is drawing you to himself. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And let me be clear. If you've confessed Jesus as your Lord, if you've been saved before and you've had a hard week, you've said some things you shouldn't have said, you've done some things you shouldn't have done, you've made some mistakes, it doesn't mean you need to get saved again. It means you need to confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confession of sin is an ongoing part of the Christian life. We will mess up. We confess our sin. God forgives us of our sin. Every time we sin doesn't mean that we need to go back and get saved and start over again. But you know who you are. If you're here and you've never been saved, not if you've messed up, you can pray and ask God to forgive you, and some of you may need to do that. But if you've never been saved, and today you would say, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite you to respond to Jesus in just a moment by just standing to your feet and allowing me to lead you in a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask you, after I lead you in a word of prayer, to step out and go into the back. And we're going to give you some resources to understand what it means to be a Christian. We're not going to do it in secret. There's, there's nothing to be ashamed of if you've never been saved before. Listen, if you're here and people just assume that you've been saved, but you've never really been saved and you respond to God, no one's going to look at you and think, you know, how dare they, you know, just now respond to God. No one's going to condemn you. No one's going to look to embarrass you, but we're going to celebrate with you because this is why we exist as a church, to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. If you're here today and you would say, I've never been saved, but today I feel God drawing me and I want to respond to God and allow him to transform my life, to change me, to make me a new creation that I would go from death to life. Would you just stand to your feet right now just to let me know who you are, anybody in the room at all today? Just a few more moments. pray for us as we close. God, I thank you for salvation. I know at times in our lives we struggle with our humanity and we fall short and we make mistakes and we mess up, but I thank you for the confidence, the assurance that John gives us that if we've truly been born again, that our lives will reflect it, that there are indicators that will give us the confidence to know that you have done something in us that we could never do for ourselves. I thank you for salvation and I thank you for eternal life. I thank you that all we have to do is receive you to receive that life. I pray for every man, woman, and student here today in their journey of faith, no matter where they may be, that you would grant them a confidence in you and the work that you've done in their life, that they would stand boldly as a committed follower of Jesus who lives a life that brings glory to your son, Jesus, 
who overcomes the world, who has compassion and a love for people, who conducts themselves in godly manners, who's confessed you as their Lord and has seen change that only you could bring to them. And we celebrate salvation. We celebrate your free gift. And pray that you would bless your people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.